Thanks, Andy, for opening us up with some good kids' worship. Uh, well, I guess it's a good uh, long weekend. I'm glad you guys are here with us. I think we're going to have a, a great service this morning. I uh, want to introduce you to a couple, uh, Stephen and Sarah uh, Watson. So why don't you guys come on up? Uh, Stephen, Stephen and Sarah are going to be uh, starting a vineyard church in Providence, Rhode Island. And uh, I would like... Uh, I would like them to tell you all about it. Uh, so, Stephen, here you go. Uh, you can tell us why Providence and who you are, and uh, uh, it's, we're just excited to hear your story. So, yeah. Well, thank you. Good morning. How are you all? It's good to be with you. We've been in Providence for one whole month, so we really feel like we're fully engaged in this process. But we are excited about Providence and about church planning there. We love the vineyard. We love New England, and we're just excited about the calling that God put on our lives. Um, my name is Stephen. This is my wife, Sarah. A little bit about us. I'm from Ohio originally. I don't have the... Okay, we have one guy from Ohio. Yes. Yeah, we have a lot of Ohio fans. OH. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have any customary New England accent on my voice. That's the first giveaway. But I'm from Ohio. I was in Columbus at the at Vineyard Columbus for just under 10 years, uh, which is a if you don't know Vineyard Columbus, it's a larger church in Ohio. And uh, out of that, I went to seminary. Which on my first day of orientation, I met my beautiful wife. That worked <laughs> out pretty well, pretty abnormal too, believe me. But I was happy about it. And then from there, we've been in Connecticut for the past year and a half pastoring at a church on the other side of the state from here, on the New York City side. Sarah? Yeah, uh, so I grew up in Connecticut, went to school in Connecticut, um, and I've just really always had a heart for New England and for seeing New England have really thriving, um, outward-focused churches. Um, following college, I uh, left New England, spent a couple of years in China on the missions field there, returned to the States. I was a youth pastor in Ohio, and then seminary, where Stephen and my paths intersected, and then um, pastoring in Connecticut. So, And now we're excited to be pastoring in Providence. We have moved to the West End neighborhood, where we're starting to meet our neighbors, get involved in the community, meet other local pastors. Uh, we are fairly uh, neighborhood-focused, at least for the beginning. The West End is its our home, our spot, where we're getting to know people and becoming known. So our vision is to see an outward-focused, Holy Spirit-led, diverse vineyard church in Providence, Rhode Island. All right. We're really... Thanks. Yeah, yeah that's a good thing that's to clap cool. for. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we really value being outward focused and we're really passionate about seeing people who don't know Jesus yet start to be engaged in discovering who he is. We really believe that Jesus is just like the most fascinating person who's ever lived, that he is attractive. Christianity may or may not be attractive, but Jesus is attractive. And when people get close enough to see him, see his character, his compassion, his power. He's incredibly compelling. Um, and then we don't talk about Jesus by ourselves. We seek to be Holy Spirit-led. We believe that the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding, and we want to be welcoming to him along every step of our ministry. We've found that praying for people who don't know Jesus yet to receive healing, 
a touch from the Holy Spirit. A word is just a great way to help people experience the love of God. Um, And then we do this together. We really believe in diversity. It's one of our core values. We know that the church, when it was started on the day of Pentecost, was diverse. It was a whole group of different people coming together. And we also believe that this is really a witness uh, to the surrounding community of the power of the reconciling love of Jesus to bring people from different cultures and different backgrounds together. So, yeah, that's what we're all about. And we're excited to be finding creative ways to share Jesus in Providence. Yeah, thanks. And we're excited along with that because we do feel like we're not just one of 50 that are doing this. We've talked to other pastors in Providence, and one of the common things that we get from good, solid, evangelical, growing churches is, you really believe in the Holy Spirit? Great, because we need that in Providence. Yep. People aren't quite sure what to do with that. Yep. So we're excited to kind of have, have space to, to become something within that, not to be competing, but to really invite the Holy Spirit, invite the power of the Holy Spirit to come, along with the love of Jesus, and to see what God wants to do in this great city. So we're excited about what God's called us to do, if you can't tell. And we will be here after the service. We would love to talk to you. If you have questions about us, what we're doing, if you know people in Providence, hint, hint. If you have friends, family members, maybe you've worked in Providence, former coworkers, whoever, Connections are great at this point in the game. So we would love to talk with you after the service if that's you, if that fits you, if you have questions about what we're doing. So thank you. So Stephen, where's your, uh, hang on to the mic, where is uh, the west part of uh, Providence? How far is it from downtown? How's that neighborhood different to right. other neighborhoods? The, the west end, it goes by several different names. Um, it's also known as the Armory District. It's right next to Federal Hill, the one spot in Providence that it seems like many people can build off of. So it's right in between Federal Hill and downtown. So it's a perfect location. It's under a mile from every campus, college campus in Providence, which is nice. Um, Biking and walking are possibilities at that point. Um, And it's, uh, yeah, like I said, about a mile from Brown and RISD, if you know where that's at, just straight south from there where we'll be at. And the reason that Uh, The second part, the reason that we did choose the West End, um, a couple of things. One, we went and visited, and God made it pretty clear. But the demographics really fit what it is that we were looking for in a neighborhood within the city. It's it's around 20% white, and uh, the rest of the 80% is split uh, Latino, uh, black, and African-American, immigrants, everybody surrounding us. So it's a great spot to really be able to meet a lot of different types of people and connect with cultures from literally all over the world, which is pretty fun. Why don't you just extend a, extend a hand? Why don't we just pray for these guys before they leave? Jesus, we just ask for really a, a fresh outpouring of your Holy Spirit to flow through them and to the people they connect with. The Lord, that uh, you would do really what's supernatural, what's impossible to do in our human uh, ways, that you would give opportunities, direct them, lead them, bring people to them. And Lord, I just pray that you'd bless them, that this would be uh, an incredibly fun, joyful experience for them. Uh, In your name, Jesus. 
Amen. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks, uh, Sarah. So, uh, you know, I'll have their contact information. Uh, the, you know, one of the ways you can help them the most would be uh, visiting them if you're in that area, but uh, more particularly if you know people in Providence and you say, you know, uh, you like this style of church, you like uh, who we are, and you know people that might uh, want to experience a similar type church, uh, they would be very helpful. Put them in, uh, in touch with uh, Stephen and Sarah, and they'll probably be starting off with, you know, like a life group and then uh, trying to gather and, and grow the church uh, that, that way. So, uh, uh, you know, as time progresses, we'll give you an update and we'll let you know how that goes. Now, for many people, uh, you know, this whole idea of starting a new church is like a big mystery because, <laughs> yep, I got it. Well, for obvious reasons. I mean, there's many churches that are around that are closing. There are many churches that are big buildings, and there's very few people in them. And uh, so the logical sort of question is, well, why not just uh, move into one of those buildings and uh, kind of revive it, like uh, invite people to that building? Well, uh, that is a possibility, but more often than not, uh, when you start something new, you start something completely new, meaning uh, an existing church that's big and empty uh, is probably big and empty for a reason, like there's a culture or there's a perception people have, uh, rightly and wrongly, of what uh, that might look like. And uh, just as your kitchen that might have worked great, you know, 100 years ago, uh, is not really the centerpiece of your house. Typically, if you move into a new house, one of the first things you do is remodel the bathroom and remodel the kitchen. Not because people didn't eat back then, but just because it doesn't function as well as you'd like it to. They're just the layout, the flow. And, you know, when we've looked at uh, older churches uh, with the idea of, of uh, you know, moving in, buying, there's just a huge problem. You know, they're, they're not up to code. The bathrooms are not handicap accessible. There's invariably never any parking. And uh, churches just didn't used to care a whole lot about the kids. The, the kids would be somewhere down in a dark basement. And, you know, and it's like, okay, that's just not how we do church nowadays. So uh, there is a reason that you know, churches start up and you start from scratch. And uh, people also ask, like, well, how does that happen? The vineyard is a movement. Uh, I'm sure, Steve, uh, Stephen, I don't think you guys got a... Ten thousand, hundred thousand, half a million dollar check, and uh, and I don't think you're anticipating that coming because you're part of the vineyard and you get nothing. It's just the way it is. <laughs> you know, there's a there's a common refrain. Uh, you're welcome to being a, a pastor, guys. Uh, pastors, uh, this is what's uh, in in the future for you. Uh, somebody will start a new ministry. We uh, we've got a wonderful mops ministry, which is mothers of preschoolers, which has just started, and I love it. And uh, and it's, uh, I, I met with one of the leaders who was sort of handling the finance. And, and very quickly the question comes, so um, uh, in your budget, uh, how much do you guys have set aside for us, for mops? And I'm like, the same as what I have set aside for every other ministry in our church. Nothing. <laughs> well, uh, what about if we need this and we need that and we need this? I'm like, 
it's great. I mean, ask God and uh, figure it out. I, I just don't have all this money. You know, it's a very bizarre thing. Uh, somebody starts a, a venture like starting a church and they get zero financial support. Uh, or very, very little. Like, like maybe enough money to incorporate. But that's about it. Uh, so that's how we do it uh, here in the vineyard. We, we run with very little overhead. Uh, there's not like this hierarchy above. It's very flat organization. All the money that we get, we just pour back into uh, to you guys and the facilities and the people that we have on staff. And we just try and maximize uh, what we do. But invariably, if you start a, you know, you want to go on a missions trip or you want to start a ministry, you do it on your own. Get the people that want to do it. You pay for it and do it. So, uh, you know, we know it's a hard road to hoe, but it's, uh, it, it's great. Now, you know, there's a few folks that are actually still part of this church that we're part of it when we started. I'm thinking of the Lynch family sitting right there, and uh, they've been, you know, part of us when we launched out and, and this adventurous journey. And I'm just delighted that they're still they're still here and seeing people come to know Jesus and seeing lives transformed. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm I'm thrilled to still have you. And many of you have been here for a long time. Uh, some of you were Jewish and you got baptized. Some of you were Catholic and you you know, uh, you came to know Christ in a personal kind of a way, and, and your lives have been transformed. Uh, many of you just didn't go to church, uh, or you would say, I'm culturally something, you know, Catholic or, or whatever, and you've, you've come to church and been part of church, and you brought your kids to church, and, and they've come to know Christ, and, and it's been an exciting, wonderful journey. Uh, some of you have been part of some of our escapades as a church where we started a church in Worcester, and uh, just like Stephen and Sarah, you visited them uh, in Worcester and got Luke and the Wu to get going and help them. Uh, we're part of some of the, the outreaches that they did. Uh, some of you were adventurous and came with us down to the Dominican Republic when we started the church down there. And uh, some of you uh, joined me when we went to Spain and we went to Asuna and we tried to start a church there and it didn't happen. But you came and you said, okay, we're willing to, to risk and to experiment and to take our hard-earned money and to go places and, and pursue what God is doing. Because there's an incredible joy that we experience when we see God use us. Uh, there's something really fulfilling that, that happens. And, uh, you know, we've been doing this series. This is the last in the series of Turning Points. And uh, I hope you enjoyed the series. If you want to uh, listen to the back uh, messages, you can get them online by going through the web page. And next week, uh, we're going to be starting a new series. And uh, the idea on the new series is Jesus loves us, or God loves us, and this is what he has done for us. Fill in the blank. Dot, dot, dot. God loves us. He's done. And we're going to be actually working through the book of Exodus. Uh, but we'll look at how God loves us in this upcoming series. But for now, when we're finishing this series on turning points, uh, I want you to just uh, think a little bit about some of the ground that we've covered. The Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, you know, is going in one direction, does a 180 degree uh, change in his life when he encounters uh, Jesus, and uh, his life is completely uh, turned around. He has what you'd call a born-again experience. You know, his whole personality, his nature is going this direction. Now he encounters Jesus, and it goes in a completely opposite direction. Uh, the the, the uh, Apostle Peter, 
Uh, he has a born-again experience, so to speak, where he is fishing for fish, and he encounters Jesus, and Jesus says, no, no, you're going to become a fisher of men. A complete change around and turn around in his experience. And then we've got the bad Samaritan, uh, the woman at the well, and uh, she has an encounter with Jesus, and uh, that ends up being a born-again experience, so to speak, of the whole village. Not only does she believe, and her life gets you know, changed and transformed, the whole village believes, and their lives get, get transformed. And uh, today, uh, I want to look at, really, this uh, story of Nicodemus. Uh, it's a story of being born again. Now, I am more than aware of the fact that this terminology, this phrase, born again, is not like an exciting phrase for many. For many people, you say born again, they're like, how fast can I get out of this room? You know, you know, it, it, normally that, that word is lined up with a, other, a bunch of other uh, not so commonly in, endearing words like fundamental. You're born again fundamentalist and blah, blah, blah. And whatever that means, it's not a good thing. I mean, I, I, you just can see by the reaction. Oh, you're a born again, a fundamentalist? Oh, okay, or, or whatever it is, I don't want that. All right, so I understand that the, the, terminal, the term born again is loaded. Uh, you know, maybe it even means people like from Georgia, right? I don't know what it means to you. <laughs> but, but whatever it means, uh, I'm going to have another shot at this and try and like put it in context with, with what the Bible says it means. But, it, but if I totally fail and you, you still like have a you know, visceral reaction to born again, uh, uh, there is a relief valve because that word can be translated totally legitimately another way. Uh, it can be translated born from above. So if, if you just want to relieve yourself of born again, you can just say, okay, I'm born from above. And then if somebody says, are you born again? You say, no, I'm born from above. <laughs> you know, can I talk to you about being born again? No, no, don't talk to me about being born again. I want to be talked about, about born from above. Or, you know, just, just change it. Just Make it your own word and whatever. But it, it has, I understand, it has a, a loaded um, uh, style. But we want to look at this, this section of, of Scripture. Uh, but before we do that, um, you know, I am, as, uh, as Sarah said so well, uh, when people get to know Jesus, uh, he's very loving, he's very winsome, he changes our lives. If we can somehow other you know, cut through uh, the parts that aren't very loving, which is often church and doctrine and people's opinions and uh, people's attitudes. But if we can get to the, like, the Jesus part, normally that's the winsome part. Uh, when we lay on other people what we think they should look like, act like, smell like, dress like, behave like, uh, that becomes the problematic part. Uh, so... You know, how do we present Jesus to people? How do we, how does Stephen and Sarah show up in Providence, Rhode Island and kind of like gather people? I mean, how, do you just walk around the street and say, do you want to know Jesus? Do you want to be born again? Nope. Okay, what about you? Do you want, you know, how do you go about like gathering a crowd? Well, you know, part of it is having the conviction that uh, if you can talk to people about Jesus, it, it, would be, it will be good news. Now, you might be well aware that we have an epidemic running through our society today of heroin addiction and addiction of all sorts. 
And uh, there was a really interesting uh, scientific experiment that was done. Uh, it started off in the 1979 where uh, folks uh, did an experiment with rats and they uh, found out that, you know, if you fed rats, uh, you know, addictive substances, particularly something like heroin, an opiate, that the rat would basically just get hooked on this thing and just keep consuming it until it died. And so we got the idea that uh, people get hooked on drugs. But uh, recently there was a TED talk uh, by a guy named John uh, Harry. And Harry was uh, looking at some research done by uh, uh, this guy, a medical researcher called Bruce Alexandria. And Bruce uh, re-looked at that study and he said, you know, the interesting thing was when the rats were uh, introduced to an opiate, they were all in isolation. And he said, I, I want to redo this experiment. Uh, we're going to give them the exact same uh, access to addictive uh, you know, water, in this case, water that's laced. Uh, but we're going to just put all the rats in a community and not in isolation. Do you know that the outcome of that experiment was, was absolutely astonishing? The rats did not get addicted. I mean, just think of it. They have the same access to a highly addictive substance, heroin-based, opiate-based uh, water, and the rats in a community do not become addicted, which is now presenting a whole new uh, look at addiction. And uh, the point that, the, that this medical researcher is coming up with, he said, maybe the problem isn't the addictive quality uh, maybe the problem is loneliness, like families are breaking down, like people are feeling marginalized, like people are feeling disconnected and lonely and are hurting. And, you know, in our world, which is getting busier and busier and more and more and more technology, and we, like, have pressure from every angle, uh, people are lonely. Like you drive down the Mass Pike on your way to work in Boston and the road is just packed, it's jammed, it's a traffic jam, but everybody's lonely. You get on the bus and people know they're talking to each other. You get on the T and you, like people are jammed in there, but people are lonely. You can be in a city and be really, really lonely. Uh, and, you know, there's a sense where people are just disconnected. And part of it is, can we be offering, can we be in Providence, Rhode Island, can we be in Hopkinton and say, folks, listen, you know, part of it is loneliness. And it's not just loneliness like you and I and people and our kids being connected, having good friends. It's also a loneliness with God. I mean, can we really, no, really, like get to know God and experience God's love? Uh, this, is the, the, this is the substance which, you know, convicts us to start churches and say, yes, we can. We've experienced God's love. We've experienced a transformation, and we've experienced God's love. So, you know, this, the story that we have in the Bible uh, of Nicodemus, uh, you find it in, in John chapter 3. If you want to uh, follow along with me, uh, why don't you open your Bible or turn your phone on and get your Bible app onto John chapter 3? Uh, because uh, I, I really want to look at this uh, today. But let me just uh, pray. Jesus, uh, I just ask that you would do what only you can do. Only you can reveal yourself to us. Lord, I understand that I can talk about you and talk about you, but only you can uh, reveal the Father. And Lord, you send your Spirit 
And so, Lord, I ask for your Holy Spirit to be present. Empower me to preach. Lord, I just ask that uh, people would experience, experience the love of the Father directly. And so, Lord, that life would become meaningful, that we truly could have a born-again experience, experiencing your love for us. Uh, in your name, Jesus. Uh, amen. So we, we pick up the story in John chapter 3, and it's really interesting because it says, I'll just read it to you, there was a man named Nicodemus. Now look who he is. He's a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. That's the, the ruling Jewish party. I mean, it's like, you know, the, the, the common tribe. After dark, one evening, he came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. Now look, Nicodemus is a religious person. He's inside the establishment. He's a great teacher. He's a leader and he's a teacher. Now good teachers, in any faculty, in any, you know, if you're an English teacher or a science teacher, you recognize when somebody's like superior to you in your field. And Nicodemus, you know, like one of the best, he's the teacher. He looks at Jesus and says, this guy's got something on me. I mean, like this guy knows something. It's not just his facts, but he's got power. There's, there's something more to his teaching. And so, you know, sort of shyly, ashamedly, he comes to speak to Jesus at night. He doesn't want to be like, you know, connecting with Jesus during the day. I mean, that would be like hanging out with born-again people, like when you're just like checking out. It's like, no, I like, want to find out. How can I find out what they know without like being seen with them? And so, you know, Nicodemus finds Jesus at night and wants to know, okay, so what's up? Like, uh, you, we can see God is with you. Like, how are you teaching? What book are you reading? I'm like, who's your, you know, your guru? Who's, who's teaching you? I need that. And it's a typical mindset, right? He knows something. I want to learn it. It's all a head game. How do I learn it? The more I can learn, the more I know about God. And Jesus reads his mail. Like, he, like you can look at him. And he says, I know what's going on in your mind, Nicodemus. I know what's cooking with you. And he says to Nicodemus this. I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus has a totally normal reaction. He, he responds, like, what do you mean? Exclaimed Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And then Jesus replies like this. He says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water, meaning a human birth, and of the spirit, meaning a spiritual birth. And so Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus, and he says in verse 3, you cannot see the kingdom, and then he says you can't enter the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Now this is really speaking Nicodemus's language. He is a teacher. Nicodemus is talking all the time about the kingdom of God. And here comes Jesus and says, you know nothing. Everything you're talking about, you can't even see the kingdom and you can't even enter the kingdom. The very thing you think you know everything about, you know nothing about. And Jesus is saying, you need to like have a whole other experience. And it's not up to you. You can't figure it out intellectually. And here's how he explains it to him. Jesus says, humans can only reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. And then it's just a wonderful 
description that Jesus now gives. He says, the wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind but can't tell where it comes from or where it is going, so you cannot, you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. You can't explain it. And this is such a helpful description of what Jesus is saying. I mean, talk about like getting Nicodemus like totally confused. Uh, Jesus is saying, okay, Nicodemus, a whole other experience. It's a spiritual experience. You need to be reborn. You need to be born from above. And it's just like the wind. You don't know where it came from. You don't know where it's going, but you can feel it. I mean, it's real. This is not like a made-up experience. You can feel the wind on your face. But at the same time, Jesus is saying, you know what? It's a complete mystery. It's a mystery. You can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. Jesus' words. But because we're religious people, we become like super smart. We say, no, you can't explain it. All you need to do is you need to pray the sinner's prayer. If you pray the sinner's prayer, man, it's magic. It'll just work. You've heard this one, right? You understand what I'm saying? So, you know, for us religious people, we've had like a born-again experience. Like, I mean, we really have had an encounter with the living God. God is really real. And we really want other people to experience God the same way. So we say, you just got to say the sinner's prayer. Well, there's only one problem with the sinner's prayer. Did you think Paul prayed it on his 180 degree? No, Paul didn't pray the sinner's prayer. You think when Peter was fishing for fish and Jesus had come follow him, he didn't say, Peter, stop the fishing. Pray the sinner's prayer. Just say it after me. If you just say, I believe in Jesus, you know, and I repent of my sins. And no, it didn't happen with him. And lo and behold, when he, Jesus met the bad Samaritan, he didn't say to her, listen, you prostitute, you know, repent and say the sinner's prayer. He didn't even say it to her. But, you know, we just, I mean, I'm speaking for the religious establishment. We love making up rules and we love telling people how to do things and how they need to act and how they need to pray and how they need to behave. And it just kind of gets old. What we're trying to do is we're trying to have people have a real, genuine encounter with the living God who really loves us. But unfortunately, often, I don't know why we do it. Uh, we try and shortchange Jesus or, or something, and we just say to somebody, okay, just repeat after me and say this prayer, and if you say this prayer, man, you'll be, your life will totally change, all your problems will go away, everything will just be great, I mean, you'll be physically healed, you'll be rich, you'll be part of the establishment, you'll have friends, I mean, everything will just be perfect. And then people pray, and it's like, oh, it didn't work, I tried that for a week, and it didn't work. Now, Believe me, I'm not like, in one sense, I'm beating up on the sinner's prayer. But in the other sense, it totally worked for me. <laughs> okay, I mean, Jesus says it, right? Yeah, he says, you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. I mean, my wife introduced me. He said, come to church, please. Right, I've just got to like, come to church. Okay, finally, I go to church. And then, you know, I meet the priest and I had a few questions. He said, come to my office. So I came to his office and he said, Okay, I'll answer your questions. So I said, okay, I've got a few questions like, uh, why should I join your establishment? What's wrong with the Muslims or the Catholics or the Pentecostals or the Baptists? And uh, can you explain that to me quickly? And I didn't realize it was a big question I was asking. I was just like, can you tell me quickly? And, you know, uh, he tried to explain a little bit. He said, come back next week and I'll answer some more questions. And I came back the week after. And he said, you need to read the book of Luke. And, and I started reading a, a little bit. And after the third week, he said, you need to... Pray the sinner's prayer. You need to like receive Jesus. I, I don't even know what he's talking about. Never heard the term. Didn't know anything about born again, thankfully. So you know, there was no negative there. It was just like, okay, what are you talking about? 
And he said, why don't you give your life to Jesus? I said, well, I'd love to. How do I do that? And he said, like, just ask him into your life. You, do you believe he's real? And I said, well, as much as you're telling me I believe he's real, I mean, I don't know anything about him. And he said, well, ask him into your life. I said, okay, I'll ask him into my life. And, and like, repent of your sins. I said, well, what's a sin and what am I repenting of? And he said, well, you know, you, you're a sinner. I'm like, oh, 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 I suppose if you say I am. Uh, you know, I, I, like, I thought I was a good guy. I didn't know what I was repenting of. But somehow it worked. I, I don't know how it worked. It worked. Uh, all I'm saying is, you know, if you go through the Bible, there is no section that has the sinner's prayer. I mean, it's the Lord's prayer. Now, the Lord's prayer is awesome. But there's no section in the Bible that has the sinner's prayer. Now, I understand people have taken verses out of the Bible and put them together and made a coherent, like, okay, this is what's going on. It's an attempt. It's not a bad thing. The bad thing is this. When you make it a formula, then it becomes a challenge. Anytime you've got a formula, do this and this will happen, invariably in spiritual matters, it doesn't work. So, okay, I'm saying you still need to know Jesus, still need to connect with Jesus. Uh, that's true. Anyway, let's carry on. In verse 9, it says this. Nicodemus is pressing it. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asked. Jesus replied, you are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things. Now you can just kind of see Jesus smirking and smiling and kind of poking Nicodemus and really enjoying this because, you know, he's got him. I mean, he knows that Nicodemus thinks he's something, and Jesus knows he really doesn't have the goods. He, Jesus says, I assure you, we tell you what we know and what we have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe when I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. Then, I don't even have time to explain this to you. Then Jesus goes on like this crazy tangent. I mean, we read this next verse and the Bible's like, what the heck is that all about? I mean, I don't even, I don't even get it. But I've got to tell you, when Jesus was talking to Nicodemus, Nicodemus was like, Oh, you, you nailed me now. Okay, so here, here's the verse. Uh, Jesus says to Nicodemus, And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, I mean, this is starting to sound really odd, you know, like really strange stuff Jesus is talking about. As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Now, wait a minute, these guys don't even believe in eternal life. What's this bronze snake thing? It's starting to become a little kind of creepy. And, you know, the, the whole backdrop, the reason this was so, like, perfect is because Nicodemus was a teacher. Uh, this was the stuff that he was teaching. Nicodemus was like, more than aware of this story. Basically, the story is this. God is loving. He's loving the Jewish people. He yanks him out of, like, Egypt, where they're slaves. He gives them food. He gives them an awesome leader. He gives them their presence. In fact, they don't even have to work for food. God just like gives it to them, manna. But what's the response of the people? It's just like you guys in church. Just like mumble and grumble. And it's like not good enough. And I, you know, I like my food hotter and I like it bigger. And it's too much meat, not enough meat. And, you know, just wine. I want, you know, water and uh, water and I want wine. And, you know, it's, and people are just moaning and grumbling. And finally God says, okay, I'm kind of sick of all your moaning and grumbling. I'm going to give you a whole bunch of poisonous snakes and now you'll have something to grumble about. And they do. And the snakes start biting him and they're dying. And he said, okay, this is the solution. Uh, what you need to do is you need to look at this like bronze snake stuck up on a pole. I mean, it's like weird stuff. And he said, if you look at this bronze snake, you, 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 won't, you won't die. 
But you know what? There's a story behind the story. Uh, I mean, as weird as that is, Jesus knew that he was going to be lifted up on a cross. And he knew when you look at him and you believe in him, just like those grumbling like Israelites, if they looked at this weird, you know, bronze snake on this stick, they're going to live. And Jesus said, that's me. Nicodemus, that's me. You know that story? This is the story. Believe in me. Look at me. I'm going to be lifted up. I'm going to hang on the cross. But if you believe in me, you're going to have eternal life. You will be totally born again. You'll be transformed. And then the most popular, well-known verse in the whole Bible, For God so loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. I mean, just an, an incredible uh, piece of scripture. Now, the question I have for you is quite simple. If you've got a bulletin insert as I, as I finish up, uh, there's, there's two questions I'm asking. And really, the first one is, uh, is your life transformed? Has your life been transformed? Uh, have you had a born-again experience? Or, uh, you know, actually the born-again experience is, is not really the issue. Uh, my kids never had a born-again experience. They just like love Jesus from day one and they still love Jesus now. That's a far better experience to have than becoming a drug addict, hitting rock bottom, your life is an absolute disaster, and then you have a turnaround experience, and you know, a born-again experience, and say, wow, now my life's really different to Jesus. Better if, you're, you know, if your life is just always Jesus, right? But the question I'm asking is not, like, how did the mechanics happen? The question I'm asking is, do you know for sure that you are known by Jesus, that Jesus loves you, that you experienced God's love on a somewhat regular basis, that you hear God's voice, that God directs you and leads you in your life, and that eternity is not a mystery, it's an assured thing. You, you know that you're going to be seeing Jesus in heaven. There's no mystery, there's no, like, I hope, I think, if I'm good enough, if I don't mess up. I, that should not be a mystery. If that's a mystery to you, and if you're like, oh, I've got no idea. You, you need to be born again. We'll give you an opportunity to end this church. Just like come up to Kevin and say, I want to be born again. I want to know, I want to experience the love of Jesus. I, I want to know him personally. Uh, but the other side of this equation is this. Uh, it's not just like, are you a, a child of God? The, the other side of the, the, the equation is, is there some evidence in your life that something has been transformed, like, like you changed? In your life. You know, for, for me, once I asked Jesus into my, my life, three things did a complete turnaround, a 180 in my life, like within three months. The first thing was church attendance. From never going to church and having no interest in church and not even knowing what they do in church, I just couldn't miss church. And this has been the case now for 30 years. I hate missing church. I love being church. In fact, I get paid to do this, so I love it even more. But, you know, I just go to church every Sunday. I, I, I mean, it's, church is a great place. Great business. Thanks, guys, for uh, putting me in business. Uh, you know, but I, I love church. Even if I'm on vacation, I like to go in church. I mean, complete change, turnaround. The other thing that was a complete turnaround was my attitude towards marriage. I had no desire to be married. I thought marriage is the dumbest institution. I couldn't understand marriage. Didn't want to be married. I was quite happy with living together. That was just the awesome lifestyle until I received Jesus. A month later, I'm like, Liz, are we getting married? Like, That's news to me. I said, yeah, well... It says so in the Bible, apparently. I hadn't read it, but uh, 
And ever since then, I've been like, marriage is great. I absolutely love marriage. I think it's a great institution. I mean, complete turnaround, right? And the third thing here was a complete turnaround for me was money. I, I mean, I went from, like, it's all about me. How rich can I get? How much money can I get? Now, what am I going to do with all the money I'm going to get to learning a, a really peculiar thing? And it's not all mine. It's actually like, God's got something to do with this. And happiness isn't about how much money you got. I mean, those are three complete turnarounds in my life. I, I, I know it. I, I feel it. But, you know, the joy for all of us is can we be used by God? Uh, there's a, a, an incredible joy that we receive when people ask us questions, your friends, your family, about Jesus. And you can, like, help them to know Jesus. Uh, if you can engage people that really want to be engaged, not because you want to engage them, because they want to ask. They're asking questions and you just being used. And you helping them. It's very, very rewarding. It's re very rewarding also when somebody says, okay, I really just want to know God. How do I do this? And you lead them through the mechanics, be it, you know, sinner's prayer or just like helping them to, to know Jesus. You know, like seal the deal. Not forcing it upon them, but like when someone's ready. It's, it's really rewarding for us, for the people that are doing the praying, not for the recipient. The other thing that's really rewarding is when we help people, like you teach children, you teach Bible study, you, you teach about God, you, you become a teacher. Or if you serve and help people in any way to make their lives better, their lives more fulfilling or more rewarding. In fact, I know I said I was going to finish, but I'm going to tell you the last story. Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, died in 1981. And when he died, he said this to his family, he wrote it out. He said, listen, please do not pray for me to be healed. Please do not pray for me to get better. I want to die because I've had a long life, 82 years old, and I can't wait to be in glory with Jesus. So don't pray for my healing. And that's how he died. Awesome way to die. I, I, I'd love that to be the same way in my life. But go backwards a bit. Martin Lloyd-Jones graduates as a medical doctor in the best institution in England, you know, now he finally graduates as a doctor. He's about to do his doctor thing. Uh, hopefully he's not in debt. The average doctor in America is like $180,000 of debt when they graduate. But hopefully back then, no debt. Uh, he graduates as a doctor and he says, and then he has a born again experience. And then he says, wait a moment. Uh, helping people medically is a good thing. Helping people psychologically is a good thing. But it's not the best thing. He says, I want to help people spiritually. And he becomes a pastor. And so he gives up his medical profession, gives up his medical license, and pursues the ministry. And becomes this like really well-known, awesome pastor, awesome author, whole life committed to the Lord, very rewarding because he's serving, helping, giving to others. And I just pray that for you guys too. So uh, why don't you stand? Let's just, uh, uh, let me just pray for you. And why don't you have the worship team come on up? Uh, Lord Jesus, I just thank you that you have given us a way to really encounter the love of the Father, that you really do uh, love us. Uh, and that you really understand the way we are. You understand the things that excite us. You understand what motivates us. You understand what gives us joy. 
and you want to give us a life filled with joy and with promise. Uh, we thank you for that, Jesus. Uh, we thank you that it doesn't fit our mindset of what we think it should look like, but you've got a plan, and that you love every single person in this place. And Lord, those that don't know you, you want to know them. And Lord, those that do know you, you want to fill their life with joy and with happiness and with a sense of purpose. And so, Lord, I pray that you would use every single person uh, in this room. And, Lord, that next week they would have experienced a week of your love and of your joy and of your opportunity to serve and to love others. So, Lord, I just pray blessing on your people, Lord, as we uh, just worship you. Uh, and I thank you, Jesus, for who you are and what you've done in my life and in the lives of so many in this church and in the lives of those that you're going to be drawing to this church and to uh, Stephen and Sarah's church. Lord, I just pray blessing. Use us all. In your name, Jesus. Amen.